Okay, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, awesome. All right, so today what we're going to talk about is um, we're going to review what we talked about last week just very quickly because that's kind of the basic thing you need to be able to do these next steps. So what do you guys remember about last week? I should have given you guys homework but to, to practice validation, but um, what do you guys remember about validation and, and the key points to it? And project your voice if you can. Active listening, yeah. So there's six types of validation, six levels to it. Do you guys remember level one? Yeah, paying attention, okay. What about number two? Reflecting back, reflecting back what you hear, right, kind of in your own words. What about number three? Reading minds, right, so saying, reflecting back to them what's not being said, what you're kind of gathering, what you're observing, good. Number four, yeah, understanding kind of their history, right? And when you can understand someone's history, you can start to validate and kind of be a little bit more understanding of a difficult time that they might be having. And that's really important to be able to, like, communicate and show in a conflict. Okay, five. This one's a little bit less obvious, but acknowledging the valid. So what is the valid point in their argument? Do you guys remember that fancy word I taught at the beginning? It was probably one of the first things we were talking about. The fancy word that starts with a D. Dialectic. Yes, good job. So a dialectic is obviously being able to see both sides, right? You feel like your point is valid, and also there's something to, from their point that is valid. So being able to recognize what are you not looking at, right? So at face value, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. At face value, you see this behavior of your son or your daughter being avoidant. And, and you have these interpretations like, oh, they're just being defiant, defiant or disrespectful. But what's really important is what's behind this behavior? What is, the tr like, what is part of this that is making this behavior valid? Is it anxiety? Is it a lack of skill? So we're going to kind of take a deep dive into that. Okay, and then level six. Do you guys remember what that was? Showing equality is that one, right? So don't try to one-up somebody's story when you're trying to validate them by trying to relate. And sometimes trying to relate is a form of validation, but it's, you know, it's really important not to kind of overdo it and make it about yourself. Okay. So that's me. So <laughs> we're going to talk about contingency management skills. So in DBT, there's short-term and long-term ways to change unwanted behavior. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. But I want to give a little bit of a, um, a brief description about depression and anxiety. Um, these are kind of things of what not to say when your child is exhibiting symptoms of a mental health disorder. Um, so take this out of your vocabulary. You have a good life, Why are you even, what are you even depressed about? There's nothing to be anxious about here, or I just bought you a car, how are you even depressed? Um, invalidating statements right off the bat. If they're coming to you saying they're anxious about something, even if in your mind you think it's not a big deal, first step like we talked about, you have to validate why they might be anxious about something. And again, maybe there's no solution, but leaning into it be like, okay, I could see why you're anxious about this because your teacher 
uh, called you out in front of the class, right? So validating that. Um, this is just kind of a general statement. A life event does not need to happen in order to make you depressed or anxious for that matter. Um, of course, life events, trauma, big kind of transitions will make you more vulnerable to depression and anxiety, for sure. But a lot of times, this is how people's brains are wired. And people can be born with this depression and anxiety and other mental health disorders. So it's really important to realize that you don't have to have like a reason to be depressed. Of course, like I said, things can and will make you more vulnerable to these things. But this is sometimes how your brain might be wired or your child's brain might be wired. And so the idea with a lot of these mental health disorders are it, they are chemical imbalances in the brain. Um, depression is insufficient levels of serotonin in the brain. Does anyone know what serotonin is? It's like the happy drug, right? So it, when you're happy, serotonin's like spiraling in your brain automatically. Um, people with depression, that's not firing as much, or it's very little or none. Um, and anxiety is the brain is hyperactive to threats or perceived threats. So some people are a little bit more vulnerable. They're a little bit more reactive. People that have anxious brains, they are naturally going to be more reactive to stimuli. Okay, and again, there's certain things that you can do to make yourself less vulnerable and from a bigger stance, get treatment for these things. So we're gonna just talk about a little bit, but by no means are the things that we're gonna talk about today going to solve depression and anxiety like all together. Marat. It is, and I don't know exactly what the chemical like things that are going on, but it's spiraling too fast. Like actually people with anxiety, like the way I um, word it to people is that like they have a brain that's operating 65 miles an hour in a 45 mile hour speed zone. It's operating very fast. And to be honest with you guys, anxiety and ADHD look very similar. So if your child or maybe yourself have, has ever been diagnosed with ADHD, uh, sometimes um, they look very similar and a kid's been diagnosed with ADHD their whole life, but really what's happening is they're anxious and that's what's causing the inattention to happen. So that's a very important thing to kind of assess if you are getting your, um, your child assessed for ADHD or anxiety. So we're gonna talk about um, these two dialectics, so two opposite sides of the spectrum and their dilemmas. Both of these, active passivity and apparent competence that I'm gonna explain to you guys, um, or that we're gonna talk about, are extreme sides of the continuum when people are stressed out. How they express emotion, or lack thereof. And, and again, in DBT, what we're trying to do is get you balanced in the middle. So both extremes are problematic, and you'll see why. So active passivity, and while I'm talking about this, I want you to think about your kid or even yourself. Everyone can relate to this. When you are highly stressed out, when you are in distress, or when your kid is in distress, what level of the continuum do they tend to lie on? So this is important to, to have some insight on this. So active passivity is the approach to problems passively and helplessly by communicating distress. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Active passivity is the person that has under control, lack of control, of their behaviors. Um, 
apparent competence is over control, which we'll talk about in a second. So active passivity will look like this. Your kid might have a lot of anxiety about something, about school or stressors in their life, and they're frantic. They, on the outside, like, there's no question. There's something going on. They are highly, highly distressed. And what happens when you become highly distressed, your environment solves the problem for you. It's okay, hi, baby, I'm going to help you with your homework. And then you give them the answers, right? Or don't worry about the chores today. You're having a bad day. That's active passivity. Your level of stress goes up, and then somebody or someone in the environment solves the problem for you. That is not the way we want to deal with this type of thing. Um, for a couple different reasons. It reinforces the active passivity, which means it, this cycle is going to happen. And one thing that's very important is you're actually, your responsibility as a parent is not to prevent them or save them from their emotions. You're not going to protect them from their emotions. Your job is to help them learn how to deal and manage and regulate their emotions. And in order to do that, is they have to, you have to let them be able to experience an emotion, and then there are certain steps to help them fulfill that need and learn the skill of this. Okay? So a question to kind of ask yourself when you're in a dilemma with your child and you want to, like, take the pain away, so to speak, or the emotion away, are you doing this for yourself or for your kid? Because if your kid isn't stressed, you're not stressed. So your job isn't to protect them from their emotion. Your job is to teach them. And that's why active passivity happens, because parents, again, you mean well by it, but you want to take the stressor away. You just, you didn't teach them anything by that. Okay, and then apparent competence is the opposite side of the continuum. This person is the person that does not show that they're stressed. So this is over control. On the outside, you appear as if you are regulated when in fact you're dysregulated on the inside. You're less likely to ask for help. Um, so this person is a little bit more avoidant, sometimes isolated, but they are less expressive about their emotions or their needs. Um, and this is problematic, too, because there is turmoil inside. Just because they're not communicating, it does not necessarily mean that there isn't something going on in the inside. So it's important to understand kind of where your child lies on this continuum. Okay. So there, there's a tip. So with each dilemma, there is a lack of skill and or need underneath the behavior. It's important to uncover or validate the need regardless of how it's being communicated. So of course, basic, you're gonna validate the need. But we already came to the conclusion that doesn't actually solve problems, it just helps in a conflict. So what we're gonna do with these contingency management skills is figure out what is the need that is not being met in your child in that moment, or what's the lack of skill? When you can uncover that, now you find solutions for your kid. These are short-term ways. Um, we're not going to spend too much time on it because this isn't the stuff that's going to, like, change your kid's life. This is just going to get you what you need in the short term. And, and this doesn't mean that these tactics are not um, useful. They're useful in the short term. So these are four ways to get what you, to, to get a behavior you want. <laughs> Lock up, right? And this is kind of just universally. 
Somebody commits a crime, what's the punishment? How do you stop that crime from happening? You put them in jail. You lock it up. That behavior, they will not be um, um, stealing from that bank or that store anytime soon, right? So equivalent in your kid or in your house, you know, you put them in timeout or something, right? Punish the behavior, right? So you, you take something away, their video games or whatever negatively or positively reinforce the misbehavior. So anytime you see the word reinforce, that means you're actually trying to do something to increase the likelihood of that behavior happening. So for instance, negative means you're taking away. But how do you take away something and then increase the likelihood of a behavior happening? So let's say you're trying to get your kid just on a small level to do the chores. Hey, if you do the chores, I will uh, um, make sure you don't have to babysit your sister uh, next weekend. You're taking away something in a good way, right, to increase the behavior happening. Positive is when you're adding something. Hey, if you do this, I will give you extra time on whatever, your video games or something like that. Okay, again, super short term. You're not really teaching your kid anything. This is just short term to get some outcome that you're wanting. And extinguishing the behavior, um, this is just kind of, and this is best with verbal um, behaviors. So let's say you, you have a kid that is um, like just having a tantrum like verbally and they're saying all these like mean things to you. So like actively ignoring to just try to like extinguish the behavior from happening to stop it. Okay. And again, the key is this does not change behavior in the long term. These are what's going to change your behaviors in the long term, and we're going to dive in a little bit on these. So I'm going to give you guys some examples here. Um, some of them are going to be a little bit more high risk than others, so we're going to talk a little bit about if you find out, like, your kid is self-harming or if your kid, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about maybe school issues, depression, and anxiety. So we're going to try to dabble in a couple things. So the first thing you have to recognize is you have to train the behavior that is incompatible with the misbehavior. So what in the world does that even mean? So, like I said earlier, what's the skill that is missing? Okay, so let's say, and you guys can blurt some out here. You, your kid is protesting every morning before school, right? You, and they're just a little bit more irritable in the mornings, right? They're a little bit, they talk back. They're just kind of saying these like really impulsive things to you. You're noticing they're dragging their feet to get on the bus or get in the car. You're just seeing them being disrespectful or defiant or w not wanting to go to school. You have to ask yourself, what's behind this behavior? What is this behavior actually about? You really have to ask yourself that question. And again, what are you not looking at? The dialectic. What are you missing from this whole picture? What kind of things can you guys think of that is the lack of skill that could be happening or what's actually happening to your child? Instead of just seeing, oh, you're being disrespectful. You're being defiant. Say it again. Yeah, maybe they're being bullied. Of course they'd be anxious about that. Of course they wouldn't want to go to school, right? Say it again. Yeah, they're not getting enough sleep, so they're just like cranky. Yeah, 
Yeah, not getting enough attention, so they're acting out. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there's this concept of like, oh, my kid is attention-seeking. And we say that in like a negative way, but guess what that means? Which number is it on here? There's a need not being met, right? So, yeah, if your kid is attention, let's say that's the case, and your kid is attention-seeking and seeking negative behavior, I mean, seeking negative attention, that tells you there is either a lack of skill or a need not being met, and we gotta figure out a way to fulfill that need, that's what's gonna get you more bang for your buck to solve that behavior, to stop that behavior, okay? So let's say, if we're talking about this first contingency management skill, you find out, and again, this is through conversation, and maybe right then and there, if your kid is the type of kid that doesn't like talking about emotions, you don't need to talk about it when they're in the middle of their distress, because they won't. You have to wait until things are actually a little bit more regulated. Now, if your kid is the opposite that needs to like talk and speak about it, absolutely, that would be the time to do it. So there's not, and this is true for all of these skills and every single skill in the world, there's not gonna be one silver bullet that's gonna solve everything about your kid. This is sort of an art to balance like when you're gonna lean on this tactic, when you're gonna lean more on this tactic when you need a heavy dose of validation, when your kid needs a heavy dose of problem solving, right? So it is kind of an art to know how much you're gonna lean on one side of the continuum. Um, so it's very important to know that. So you notice your kid is, just through the conversation, it all boils down to anxiety. All right, what's the lack of skill? Are they having trouble relaxing? Are they, are they just kind of feeling like keyed up and edgy before school? So you train the behavior. And then you guys have to put a contingent. So contingency management, just to break this down, is it's kind of if this happens, then this happens, right? So when this happens, you're going to do this. So you're going to teach your kid some relaxation skills to make them less vulnerable to anxiety. You kind of create a plan. You're teaching them the skill on how to be able to get to school and manage their anxiety or how to get to school and face the bully or how to get to school and deal with test anxiety, whatever it is. But that, you have to be able to train that skill. And at the end, we're going to talk about quick, quick, quick DBT skills to help reduce anxiety. So if you're looking at me like, oh, well, I don't know how to deal with that, I'm gonna give you guys some skills on how to like, just little quick tactics to reduce anxiety in the moment. Um, I'm gonna skip number two because it'll make sense when I explain number four. Shape the absence of a, of a behavior. So what that is, is like when you notice your kid like isn't really good at doing something, so let's say they're really anxious at social events and they don't want to go to Tunt so-and-so's house because they don't like um, going to events. Again, maybe what you would have to do is train the behavior first, but it's really important to give your kids the power to like learn to trust themselves and feel like maybe they're not ready yet. And again, through discussion, okay, well, let's, like, you can come in when you're ready. But let them listen to their bodies, too. That's really important. Um, but let's say that they do go to this thing that they normally wouldn't go to. So you shape the behavior, and this is with verbal kind of reinforcement and validation. Hey, I know that this was really hard for you to do, and I really appreciate that you came to this event. Right? So it's just you, you're, you're reinforcing and you're and essentially validating the fact that they did a behavior. 
um, you know, your kid doesn't like to do the chores and they picked up one little um, piece of clothing on the floor, even though it wasn't the whole thing. Hey, I really appreciate that you did that. That helped me a lot. So you just kind of hype them up a little bit in, in that way. This is what I was talking about earlier. Change the motivation, meet the need, driving the misbehavior. So in essence, what you're doing, meet the need. What is the need missing from your kid? So let's say we use this example of, let, let's say they're um, acting out because they do want your attention. There's a need not being met. So you have to ask yourself, what is that need? And there's this little trick I like to teach parents when they have like maybe like an aggressive um, or more irritable child and they say things they don't mean. Asking your kid, like literally you say this phrase, what is it that you're trying to tell me? So they say, I hate you, you're the worst parent in the world. What is it that you want me to know right now? And that is more specific and that will teach, like it's not that it's teaching them how to communicate, but they're, it's more concise. So I just don't like all these rules. Okay, even though you're, you're, you might not necessarily change the rules, but that is better communication than I hate you. So you're kind of teaching them a better way and you're kind of creating, in, in essence, a safe place for them to be able to tell you that. Now, if you become reactive after you say, what is it that you're trying to tell me? Oh my God, I knew it. You just shut down your kid. They're not gonna tell you these things. So they're gonna go the more extreme route in the way they're communicating to you. So you meet the need and you start seeing that they just need your comfort a little bit more in the mornings and that might help relieve their anxiety. Okay, now, yeah, you might have, this might cost you a little bit more time, but now you need to figure out a way to add that in your routine. Um, let's talk about self-harm. Or, or any, in, you can substitute any behavior that maybe your child might be doing that might be a little bit more high risk, whether it's like drugs or um, self-harm and eating disorder, something like that. Regardless, you need to understand, this doesn't mean it's effective. There is something happening, there is a reason why they are seeking that behavior. It's fulfilling a need, right? Drugs make you feel good. Self-harm does relax people. It distracts them from their emotions. It doesn't make it right, but it's important to understand why. Why is that important? So you can fulfill the need or figure out what the lack of skill is, okay? And when then, then when you can find substitutes for those reasons, it, it's, and again, sometimes this does require more therapy. Again, it doesn't require one little conversation. But the, the behavior is less likely to happen when they can find other ways to feel good, when they can find other skillful ways to distract themselves or deal with their emotions, okay? So let's say you find out that um, you're after arguments or after something happens, your kid starts self-harming and they show you that they're self-harming. A parent is gonna tell me, see, they just want attention. What is, what is an example of a need that might not be being met here? Love, did someone say safety, acceptance? Yes.
That's a good question. So the question is, if, for those that can't hear, is what if you can't fulfill that need? And you're right. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's bigger than you. Sometimes it's you're not the problem. It's someone else that's a problem, like a teacher, right? So it might not be. So, again, it's going to be important to validate your kid and, like, align with their emotion and their frustration about it. But it might actually go more towards trying to get them, teach them skills on how to deal with that teacher, right? Now, if it's really that big, right, like just on a solution, and not saying you need to do this in every situation, because remember, our job isn't to protect our kids from these bad things from happening. Like they're going to have teachers, bosses, people that are going to be hard to deal with. So it's actually teaching them how to deal with a difficult personality maybe or a difficult scenario. Of course, if it's an abusive situation, then absolutely get them out and advocate for them. Talk to the principal and get them out, you know. Hang, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah, and those are just kind of good little checklists because uh, anyone's going to be vulnerable when they're hangry, hungry, <laughs> or hangry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big one in, um, in like AA and things like that because a lot of times people will seek drugs for when those things are lacking, you know. Um, so that's, a, yeah, thank you for that. That's a good kind of checklist to go through with your kids as well. Um, and, and good question. So, again, sometimes, it, yes, there technically might not, th there's a need you can't meet, but it might be more about training your kid with more skillful behavior. Um, so, they come to you with self-harm. You see what you made me do? I self-harmed after our argument. An example, and this, again, every kid is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. But you might, again, what is that behavior about? Why did they do this and why are they showing me? It, it may have helped them relax. So again, this is where you train the behavior. But also, they're showing you. You may inadvertently be giving them something on accident from this. Now, all of a sudden, you're willing to listen to them. Or you soften your stance. Do not wait for a crisis to happen to start fulfilling your kids' needs. So when you can actually fulfill, like, so of course, when a crisis happens, fulfill the need. But these things will not need to happen if, they're fulfill, if you're fulfilling these needs from the get-go. I use this example. My daughter, Aria, you know, she's in the terrible two phase. And she has this new behavior of, like, her water bottle. And she wants to, like, spill her water bottle all around the house, right? So there's a need there testing, seeing what happens with the water, right, just making a mess. Okay, how do I meet this need and not get my living room all wet and dirty and sticky with juice and, you know, water? Go outside on the deck and do it. <laughs> so she goes outside on the deck and does it, and the need to do it in the living room is less likely to be there, okay? So fulfilling your children's needs are so, so, so important. 
again, maybe the need is I need my parents to listen more. And the way they get you to listen is when they do something drastic like that. So now you need to sprinkle that in daily and throughout the week before the crisis happens. Rami. Has it has a what? Invalid need. Okay, do you have an example of that? Yeah. Okay. Good question. So what if they're asking for something that's not beneficial? Um, so this is where um, put the behavior on a cue and fade the cue. So let's, for example, they want to go to this get together and you're like, yeah, no, not tonight. It's a school night. Okay. Or you don't trust these group of friends and you're not, you, you don't want them to go there. What's the need? There's a need. They want friends, they want social interaction. So maybe the answer is not right now. Can you, and, and it's important to explain this to them. Like, look, I don't trust your friends. I don't know anything about them, but I'm willing to meet them. It just can't be today, because I got a lot going on. So how about on Saturday you invite them over? So you faded the need. You put it on a cue, and you communicated that. Now, for sure, if there's just something that they're asking for, like, why won't you let me smoke weed? Everyone else is. Well, yeah, then the answer is just no. Like, you know, you're not going to do any of this. But it's important to, again, what's the lack of skill? Why are they wanting this behavior? You might not be the one to fulfill it. Their curiosity is kind of there. But, but it's still important to ask yourself these, skills, uh, these questions. Is it a lack of skill? Are they seeking something that they are not getting? And is there a way you can implement this kind of stuff? Okay? So those are the four things. Putting the behavior on a cue. And, and this is, this could be an example with the, the water bottle example that I just told you guys about. Not right now, but later, right? And if there's a need, right? Like, you start seeing that your kid wants all this extra attention. And let's say your kid is very needy of your attention. They're going through a phase where they're very needy of, their, of your attention and you just can't give it. You have work, but there's other children, then the other kids are going to feel this way. Put it on a cue. Put that behavior on a cue. Do you guys have an idea of what that might look like? They need you right then and there. For some reason, you just can't get to it. You identify when and how, right? Um, and so they know that the need is going to have to follow through too. Okay. These are just quick little DBT skills on how to um, reduce big emotions in your children, and actually you can use them yourself. This first one's magical. You the temperature skill. So. You put your face in ice cold water and you hold your breath for 30 to 45 seconds. Everyone's looking at me. I got a call one time from a mom, my son is trying to kill himself. I was like, no, he's actually doing a DBT skill. He's trying to keep himself from doing that right now. But what, what you, so what happens is your, um, it's changing your brain chemistry. Your, your brain goes into something called the dive response and it's shutting down the non-essential organs in your body. So think about when you're anxious, everything's going really fast. This slows it down. Um, if you have a hyperactive kid, this one's a good one too. <laughs> you just need to mellow them out. 
trust me, try it at home and you, you'll notice you're just going to be like, whoa, like you're just way more mellowed out. It only lasts for 20 minutes. It's very temporary, but it helps. But when you, especially if your kid is so dysregulated, that logic part of their, their brain, brain is offline. And, and so, so you need to get them regulated so they, they can think a little bit more reasonable and logical. Okay? That's the temperature scale. Pace breathing, um, it's, you guys have probably heard of deep breathing in some way, but the key here is by focusing on your exhale, and it needs to be longer. And the reason why is when you exhale, it generates something called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the nervous system that's responsible for relaxing you. So when you exhale, you're kind of kicking that relaxing nervous system in, into gear automatically. So you do four seconds in, six seconds out, and you kind of keep the same pace. Slowing that exhale down. Willing hands, I want you guys to try this and tell me what you notice. So everyone like this and think of something with both hands. I just have the mic. Both hands. And I want you to think of something that's kind of somewhat annoying or makes you like a little bit angry. Okay? And, and feel that motion for a second. And I want you to notice what happens when you do this. Then put your hands in your lap and open it like this, but in your lap. And tell me what happens, what you notice happens to your anger or your level of annoyance when you do that, if anyone's willing to share. Minimize, you said? Yeah. You biologically cannot muster up the same level of annoyance or anger when you do this. This also changes your brain chemistry. And if you think about it, we kind of, you do this during prayer too, willing hands. It's this this is a form, form of acceptance, acceptance and allowing. And, and this is important when you're kind of having trouble accepting something. Maybe, maybe things aren't happening as quick as you want them to. Um, so willing hands, again, can just, it doesn't mean it's gonna take away your anger or annoyance or anything, but you biologically cannot muster up the same emotion. And big three plus one. This one's a good one too. And I'm also gonna make you guys do it. Um, I'm gonna start with the plus one. The plus one is when you're sitting. Only when you're sitting. So I don't think anyone, it doesn't look like that, at least from the outside. It's extremely, extremely distressed right now, right? So this is a good time to practice it when you're also not distressed. And I want you to see what it does. I want everyone to physically just kind of lean back in your chair a little bit more than you are. Okay? Tell me what you notice. Again, you're not distressed, but what do you notice when you physically lean back in your chair a little bit more? Yeah, I heard a lot. Do a thumbs up if it was somewhat of a good experience, right? It's just, you, you're a little bit more relaxed, right? It just deflates a little bit more. Now imagine when you're dysregulated. If you do this when you're dysregulated, you're going to get a little bit more back. So, the plus one. Now all four of these skills that I'm about to teach set, um, send signals to your brain that all is well. Okay, so the plus one is when you're sitting, you lean back in your chair, and the big three are not a crazy smile, like when you're angry, don't do like a crazy smile like this, but like just like, it's, we call it like a cooperative smile. Right? Just a little bit of a smirk, like Mona Lisa, and an eyebrow whack, and then uh, breathing. All three, and then if you're sitting in that fourth one, 
by themselves signal to your brain that all is well. And so this is just a good one when you can couple those three things plus the, um, plus the sitting. When you're in an argument with someone and it's getting heated, if you physically lean, I do this in therapy when someone's like really angry, I'll just start leaning back in my chair and it, I'm not saying anything and it takes the air out of the room. There's something called mirror neurons. People will start to kind of match your energy in a good way or a bad way. So leaning back, eyebrow at the breathing and the cooperative smile. All those things will kind of give you back a little bit more when you're dysregulated. And these are just little tactics you can teach your kids too, like before, like when they're sitting in class or if there's something, if they're anxious about an argument or something, like teach them some of those things too. Um, questions. I know I went fast. This is kind of a lot of information. Yes. I'm sorry, can you, I know the plus one. Can you repeat the three again? Yeah, so eyebrow like this. So that might not be socially appropriate if like you're in a conversation. <laughs> We're like, why are you doing that? <laughs> this is like, you can do it, but you don't have to do all four together if it's not like appropriate for the situation. A cooperative, like just like a little smirk, and the breathing, you exhale a bit more. And then, the sit, and then you do the plus one if you're sitting. Um, I forgot to mention, same thing, it's not socially appropriate to like put your face in cold water and like, you can't make me mad, just one second, please. You can't do that. <laughs> so, or like, maybe you have makeup on, you're at work. Don't do that. Your mascara is going to go everywhere. So what you could do is, there's a vein here, get something cold, and you put it here, hold your breath for 30 to 45 seconds, and you bend over. That can give you a similar effect. It's more, you'll get more if you can submerge your face, but obviously, don't, be, don't put your face in like a public sink or anything like that. Um, so you can do that anywhere without having to like submerge your face if you need to. Okay. Okay. I think that's all. If you guys have questions, I know we have to wrap up. Um, yeah, that's all I have for you guys. You're welcome. Why is so excited about this series and for giving us the eight past two Sundays? It's to remind ourselves that mental health is spiritual. Physical health is spiritual. Social health is spiritual health. Everything, financial health is spiritual health. It's all connected. And this is an integral part to Christianity, for sure, and Orthodox Christianity. We are looking for holistic healing. Everything is connected completely. And as, as Anne pointed out, even the way we pray is aiding our mental health, our spiritual health, of us coming in a vulnerable state to God as we pray in this way. So, so thank you, Anne. So thank you, Anne, for that. So thank you. So that was very, uh, very eye-opening for us to validate and how we can process our emotions, our anger, and how to validate those processes. All right? Uh, let's stand up and say prayer today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we know that our anger can get the best of us. Sometimes us responding to someone without processing it, we end up regretting that. But Lord, we pray that we can take the words of St. Arsenios, who he said that I've never regretted, I've always regretted speaking, but I've never regretted not speaking. For us to process what we want to say before it coming out of our mouth, for us to validate and lift and love the person in front of us, 
Lord, we pray that we can apply this for our mental health, which will then ultimately strengthen our spiritual health and our union with you. Lord, I ask that you bless Anne in her service and in her career as she impacts the lives of so many people. And through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll get back to uh, a new series at the 8 next Sunday.